Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church located in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you will hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now for a message from a special guest. Amen. So we continue to pray that God will send out laborers, workers into his harvest field. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you. Welcome to those watching, worshiping online with us here today. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned in the service, my name is Derek and I'm the lead pastor. I might have, I don't know. They all kind of run together at some point for me. It's great to be with you. Uh, It's a joy to have a guest with us, uh, Dr. Carolyn Tennant, her and her husband, Ray, who is uh, at her book table in the lobby. Hopefully you get to meet him afterwards. Uh, I've recently joined our church this year. And uh, as my wife and I had lunch with them, uh, she said, well, we want to serve in the church. I said, well, that's great. She said, but it's been a while since I've served in the nursery. And um, well, here's the thing. Dr. Carolyn Tennant is kind of like a local legend. She probably wouldn't say that, but that's what all my friends tell me. She is Professor Emerita at North Central University. When she was hired there in 1983, she became the very first female vice president at an Assemblies of God college in the country. And so God has used her in great ways. Her and her husband, Ray, are ordained ministers with the Assemblies of God. He served as a worship pastor at a few different churches here in the South Metro area. And we're just so honored that they're here, part of our church. And and she said, you know, if I can help the church in any way, I said, well, could you share? She is really what I would call an authority or historian on revival, especially within the Assemblies of God. She's studied it for her life. She teaches it at the doctoral level for Assemblies of God seminary students. And so it's a privilege to have her here and uh, just investing into me personally and, and into our church. She's got a couple books that are at that table called Catch the Wind of the Spirit and Keys to the Apostolic and Prophetic. You know, as I was teaching on the fivefold ministry, I didn't know that that was her specialty and that was her book was about. I had lunch with her two days after I preached that message and she was like, have you read my book? I was like, should I? She said, it's about the fivefold. I said, somebody should have given that to me before I preached and you were listening. I said, did I mess up? She said, you did just fine. So I appreciated that. And uh, it's great to have them here. Uh, Let me just say this, Dr. Carolyn, as you prepare to come. A lot of my friends in our state, really your, your list of accomplishments is long. You serve our fellowship and doctrines and practices. You preach in district councils and revivals and school of the spirit all around the country. But so many of my friends attribute their spiritual growth to your leadership, your example, and your teachings. You've been a spiritual mom to so many, and uh, we just want you to know uh, our hearts are open and our spirits are hungry. Would you help me welcome Dr. Carolyn Tennant here today? Good morning. How are you? I love celebration. And I love your pastor, Derek Ross, and Dana, I love them. So we just joined this church. We are now members, and um, this, is, this is my place. So I um, am just so honored to be able to be here today. And I um, would ask a, a favor, first of all, My husband's back at the book table, as the pastor said, so get to know him too. We're still just 
getting to know people, so if you introduce yourselves, I may or may not remember your name, but I will try. And uh, so he would love to meet some of you back there. And I would ask for your prayers when the Lord puts, um, puts it on your heart to do that. I would ask for your prayers because I'm out um, preaching a whole lot. I'm, I'm really busy. And just to give you an idea, um, I just got back from uh, California last weekend. I was in California uh, speaking on Friday night and all day Saturday and Sunday morning at a uh, hippie church. <laughs> it actually started way back when in revival. When, if you've seen the movie Jesus Revolution, that was it. They were one of those churches that got started in the Jesus Revolution. And I want to tell you, I heard more testimonies and stories about what God did during that revival. It was just awesome. And um, this next week, I'm going to Arkansas, and I will be uh, pre preaching a school of the spirit. Um, Rick DeBose, who is the Assistant General Superintendent, and Joe Oden, who's in charge of our new prayer center and an evangelist, and I have been going around to different districts and holding schools of spirit for pastors. So we're doing that next week in Arkansas. Do you know that recently one of the churches in Arkansas, this was just a few weeks ago, um, they were having church like we are today, and the presence of the Lord just descended in that place in a cloud. It was like the Shekinah glory coming down into the church and the Lord's presence rested in a powerful way on that church for a few hours. Wouldn't that be amazing? I know of another church, I, I, since I get around a lot, it's, it's so fun because I keep getting testimonies and stories about what God is doing actually all over the world. There's another church I know of that just had 1,006 new members, um, new uh, salvations this year, only this year. So God's at work, wow. <laughs> and shortly after that, I'm going to Florida to a little spot that is celebrating its 130th year anniversary. And if you um, do your calculations, you will figure out that that church started even before the Azusa Street Revival, if you know your history and your background, and before the Assemblies of God even formed, there was a guy who owned a sawmill down there, and the Lord baptism, baptized him in the Holy Spirit, and a number of people started gathering with him, and they had a thriving Pentecostal church even before the Azusa Street Revival. So they're holding their 130th year celebration, and I get to be a part of that um, in early um, September. So anyway, those are the sorts of things that I'm involved in, and if you think about it, just pray, because God is doing a work all over, and including here. Uh, he's doing it locally, too, and that's just awesome. So I, um, when I was asked to speak, I had a, a, certainly right off the bat, I knew what I was supposed to speak on, and I continued to pray about that, and the Lord just kept leading me back to these verses, and that's in Matthew chapter 9. 
So if you happen to have your Bibles, you can open to that, or it'll also be up on the screen. I'd like to start with verse 14 and just read this section through and then go back and take it apart verse by verse. Here's what it says. Matthew 9, verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This is an interesting section of scripture. First of all, if we look at the first verse there, um, verse 14, it says this, then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Now this is John the Baptist's disciples. Of all the people, in that day and age, you should have understood that Jesus was the Messiah, I would think it should have been John the Baptist's disciples. After all, John had been saying all the way along that he was the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. He knew that was his task. It was the call upon him. And he was making the way, he was preparing the way for Jesus to come. Furthermore, what's interesting is that um, they would have probably seen the, the baptism of John, uh, or excuse me, of Jesus, John baptizing Jesus. They, they would have um, heard John the Baptist proclaiming that this was the one, this is the Messiah that I've been talking about. And furthermore, there was a sign that came at that baptism and that is that a dove, um, scripture tells us, um, came and landed on Jesus' shoulder. Now, you know, this might not seem revolutionary to us today. I think we think of doves as being rather tame and, um, you know, just nice little birds and You know, so a sweet little dove came down, isn't that nice? And we read that scripture, and it looks like a nice little scripture, and we say, okay. But, actually, it probably was not exactly how we thought about it. Let me explain this. I am, among other things, I specialize in the Celtic church, Celtic church history from the time of St. Patrick um, on to about the year 1000. And it's an amazing time period in which, wow, the gifts are in operation, the Holy Spirit is really moving. In fact, uh, one little known fact is that uh, Patrick himself, St. Patrick, actually spoke in tongues. Uh, Most people don't know that. 
Uh, but he did. It, it's in his biography. I've read it in the original Latin, so I know for a fact that he was actually a Pentecostal. And I'm not surprised because the rest of the gifts are greatly in operation in Patrick's life. He comes into um, Ireland, and it's basically hardly any Christians on the island at all. And by the time he leaves, he's left churches everywhere. Pretty much the whole island had gotten saved. I think he was an incredible apostle. His story's amazing. And all of his disciples were the same way. They came to the Lord. They were working in all the gifts of the Spirit. They were obviously moving in the Spirit. So when he was on the island, Patrick um, at one point thought, I have to teach these people about the Holy Spirit. I want to tell them about how the Holy Spirit came and landed on Jesus' shoulder. But my problem, he said to himself, is this. There is no actual dove on Ireland. There's no dove anywhere. It's not a bird that exists on the island of Ireland. So how do I explain a dove when they can't even get a picture of a dove. They wouldn't even know what it was at all. And so he looked around at all the different birds and he kind of debated about which one he should choose that they could decide, you know, this was, use that as the example. And so he came up with a very interesting example. What Patrick decided to do was to use, as the symbol of the Holy Spirit, a wild goose. <laughs> That's right, a wild goose. In fact, if you go to Ireland, even today, you will find um, plaques, and it'll talk, you know, our typical verses of the Holy Spirit and stuff. We often have a picture of a dove. And instead of that, on the Irish plaques, I have one, I can prove it, and they're all over the place, you can find a goose. Now this is kind of, I mean, just think about this. It's like, if you put that into the baptism picture and kind of go, you know, excuse me, I should not do this. So anyway, this goose comes flapping in and ends up on Jesus' shoulder, kind of like, Okay, but you know what? I, I did some study on this, and in actuality, I think that the wild goose is quite appropriate because what we don't realize today, most of us, is that the doves that were in the region where Jesus was baptized were actually wild rock doves. That's very important to know because those particular doves would no more gently come and land on Jesus' shoulder than a goose would. They, they were wild. It was, it was such an amazing sign to everybody because they did land on his shoulder. And it was like, wow. I mean, John the Baptist's disciples saw this. So they knew that he was the Messiah. And, and you know, when you stop and think about it, I mean, I've I've considered the wild goose symbol and I thought maybe it's even more appropriate than in our picture than, than our little tame dove that we often think about because we kind of look at the Holy Spirit as something that we can 
cane that we can put in a cage or something and let out when we want to and put them back in when we're done with them. And I want to tell you, that's not the way the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way at all. The Holy Spirit is one of the members of the Trinity. He's a person, he's God's spirit, he's Jesus' own spirit. They're united as one in the Trinity. And wow, you're not gonna tame that. You're not going to just say, I'll take you when I want you, and then when I don't, I'm not going to let you even work. The wild goose is a symbol of how God just often takes us into new things. He, he takes us on adventures. He takes us to places we didn't expect. He does things that we didn't know he was going to do. If we follow and obey Jesus, life is never boring. I believe, I, I read once, I was reading through some of my Celtic books and I ran across this one line that has stayed with me always. It, it said, if a, if a member of the Celtic church were to come into our churches today, they would say, wow, this is boring. They were basically saying they were willing to do anything for God. They were willing to go any place. They were willing to have some adventure. And I believe God has adventures to us if we will just obey. He wants us to move in the spirit out, outside of the church as well as inside the church. He wants us to stop and talk to people. He wants people healed on the streets. He wants to do things that, that maybe would make us a little uncomfortable to begin with, but he has plans. And when we obey him, he's going to take us on an adventure. We will never be bored when we really follow the wild goose. Now, John's disciples um, have an interesting situation here because they asked this question, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? I sure wish that we had a tape of how that question was worded, the tone of it. I would wish that in a lot of verses, by the way, but this is one in particular where I just wish I could pop in a tape and go, oh, that's how they said it but we don't have any such thing. So all we can do is take a guess, but I, I don't know, it sounds to me a little testy, doesn't it? Um, maybe it sounded a little bit like this. How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? I think it sounds a little snarky. I think it sounds kind of in your face. And why were they doing this after all? Like why ask that question? Fasting for them was a tradition and they couldn't get out of their box. They were in this box of we have to do this and we have to do that and we have to go here and we, this is the way we've always done it. And their box was right in front of their eyes when the Messiah was in front of their eyes. 
wow, the box was covering up their view of Jesus. And here, we have Jesus himself, the long-awaited king, the long-awaited savior, the one who they've been waiting hundreds of years to have come. Finally, he's right there. He's right in front of them, right smack dab there. And they're worrying about fasting. They're worrying about their tradition. Oh, wow. And I wonder what was going through Jesus' head. I mean, I guess I would have been thinking, can't you see the bigger picture? (laughs) I'm the Savior, and this is just like going over your head. You're not seeing me, and I finally come. Open your eyes, he's thinking, I, I believe. You know, open your eyes and see that I'm here. You know, I think there are times when God's doing stuff right in front of us, in our midst, in our lives, and we miss it. In fact, I've gone back, I I feel for John's disciples. I honestly don't know what I would have been like. I, I hope I would have seen that it was the Messiah. I hope I would have followed him. But you know, I don't know, because I'm kind of dense sometimes. Maybe I'm the only one, but... You know, I mean, things just go past me. I, I don't notice. And God's at work, and I don't perceive it. I don't see it, I don't know it. And would I have, if I had been there at the time, would I have acted any different? Would I have like swiveled and said, oh, you're the Messiah. And I, I don't have my old tradition questions to ask. I have some new questions, some fresh questions, some fresh things that I'm wondering about. I believe that God is this kind of God. He's a new God. He, in, in the freshness of what he does, he does new things. He's... He's always, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but his actions are new. His actions are fresh for every season, for us in our lives, for our churches. We're always meant to grow. We're always meant to move along. And sometimes we just get so stuck in our ways. And I can picture Jesus going, wow, how do I answer this question. Well, if we go on to verse 15, we see that in actuality, Jesus did answer. In fact, that verse, the next verse, starts with Jesus answered. Now, I must admit that if I were John's disciples, I might wonder about the answers because he gives us three different ways of seeing the answer. In fact, this is how Jesus did it lots of times. I love reading the Gospels because, you know, somebody will ask him a straightforward question and he never usually answers it directly. He, he, he's 
amazing because he answers it with a story or he answers, asks a question back or he gives it, explains it in a simile or a metaphor and you've you got to think about it. You know, you've got to look at that and go, huh, well, I wonder what that means, which I think is what he was trying to do. He, he was trying to let you take it away and say, I don't know how that answers it, but I've got to think about it for a while. And as you mine it, the spirit starts to open it up to you. So his answers are going to be deep. His answers are going to be amazing. He says, Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. Now, this is a very interesting thing, because he's equating fasting with mourning in the sense of, you know, I I need to make space in my life for God. It's a hard time. I'm wanting more of him. There, there's, there's a fasting, it's hard. There, there's, there's kind of a mourning to it. And he says, you're not going to mourn while the bridegroom is with you. For us, we know probably what this verse is signifying. We have many, many more verses to compare it to. So we get more of it than John John the Baptist's disciples probably did. He's basically saying, I'm the bridegroom. In fact, in other parts of scripture, he says, I'm gonna come back, I'm the bridegroom who's going to come back for my bride, the church. He says, I want the church to be ready. I want them to be holy. I want them to have on their white dress. And I'm going to have the marriage supper of the lamb up in heaven. He's given us so many pictures, and we know those, so it's easier for us to understand what he's saying here. But he's basically making a huge point. He's saying, you know, if you're a guest at a wedding, it's not the time to fast and mourn. It's the time to feast. It's the time to enjoy the wedding. It's the time to appreciate what you have going on around you. So... He said, hey, there'll be a time, though, when the bridegroom is gone. And then if you want to, you can fast. So fasting is still appropriate for today because his body and the flesh, he's he's gone. But at that point, he's saying, you're missing me. Here I am, the bridegroom, and I've come for you. And you, you, why are you asking a question about fasting? Why are you asking about your traditions? Why are you asking about the things as you see them and how you've always done them? Don't you have some new questions for me? I'm the son of God sitting here before you. Oh, friends. God wants to be like that with you. He has fresh things in his relationship for you. He doesn't want it to be the same all the time. He wants you to explore. He wants you to learn more about him. He wants you to seek him. He wants you to find out more things than what you can possibly imagine. By his spirit, he is here with you, and he's right in front of your eyes. Do you not perceive it? Do you not see it? 
do we miss what God is wanting to say to us? I believe that all of us, that the Spirit would be happy if as we just have an open heart to the fresh and new things God has for each one of us personally because he wants to do brand new things that we've never experienced before. God is not in a rut. So then he moves on to verse 16. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. This is a very interesting metaphor. I think if I were John's disciples, I would have thought, what is going on here? I mean, I ask a question about fasting, and then I get a question about Bride, I mean, an answer about bridegrooms, and now he's talking about cloth, and pretty soon he'll be talking about wineskins. It's like, what is this guy talking about? But this is a deep metaphor. He says, if you have a hole, you will want to patch it. Well, of course, he's not living today in our society when you don't patch holes. You buy them, but that's beside the point. (laughs) He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Okay, now, today, we've got a lot of synthetic fabrics, right? So things don't, you know, shrink like they used to. But in that day and age, things shrunk. Um, You know, you might make wool or whatever, and and there wasn't the synthetic fabrics that would keep it together, so you would expect shrinkage. And he's saying, if you go and patch it with an old piece of the cloth, um, that that old piece, I mean that new piece actually, you've washed the rest of it, but the patch will end up also shrinking, and then it pulls away and you get a worse tear than you had before. So he says, you're not going to do that because the cloth that you'd patch it with would create a problem. And I believe that what Jesus is saying here is, I don't do patch jobs. You know, in our own lives, we have holes. We'll often say, please, God, would you fix this thing? and we pray about another problem or a situation or somebody we're concerned about, please fix that hole. Please, God, would you, would you handle this? And all along, I believe that what God wants to do is not do a patch job. I think he's wanting to give you a whole new set of clothes. He wants to give you a whole new garment. And we're settling for a patch. We're saying, please fix this, whatever it is, the worst little thing that's happening to us, and we leave the rest of it undone, and he says, please, I have a fresh thing for you. I have something brand new. I want to give you a whole new outfit. Wow. This is huge because, you see, with John's disciples, 
He's basically saying to them, please, do not look at little things like this and this and this little rule and that little problem. Get a bigger picture. Oh, friends, God is in the transformation process. He just wants to transform us to make us new, to make us different than we were before. He wants to heal us physically and emotionally and from past memories. He wants to do a work. He wants to help us in our lives. He wants to give us a whole new set of duds. And actually, Jesus is saying, please don't settle for less. I was preaching this particular message in Chile one time, the country of Chile and down in South America. And it was a women's conference and uh, it was packed. There were all kinds of ladies and there was a kind of a, they were, the chairs were filled up so there was like seats along the side that were just bare wood no back or anything, but people were actually sitting on those too. And, and I, am, I got to this verse, and one of the gals just started to, to weep. I'm not talking about a little tear or something. I'm talking about full-fledged, you know, weeping. And I'm going, it was a little distracting to me. You know, it's like, well, I know this is good, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's the word, but it's not that good. So, I, you know, I, I concentrate, Carolyn, concentrate. You know, I was like, don't pay attention. You'll find out maybe later. So I, I just kept going, and finally she kind of calmed down. And afterwards, she came up to me, and she said, you probably noticed me crying over there. Yeah. <laughs> and she said... Um, I have to tell you something amazing. She said, I, I had a dream about three, four weeks ago, and she said, it was like it woke me up. It was so, I, I haven't forgotten it, it was so like, real to me, and, and I knew that there must be something in it from the Lord. You know, it was one of those kinds of dreams where it's not just kind of a crazy or half-asleep dream, but it was like, Wow, and she said, I haven't forgotten any of it. And while you were preaching, I understood what the dream was about. I said, well, tell me. And she said, in the dream, I was sound asleep, and the Lord woke me up. She said, not in real life, but in the dream. I was still in a dream. He woke me up, and he took me by the hand. He said, get up, and I did. And he said, follow me. So he took me out of the front door of my house, and he walked me through the streets on a path, and he said, I ended up, after a while, we ended up in this, by this big, huge warehouse. She said it was just a gigantic warehouse, you know, all metal, and there was a big, like, double door, steel door that you could just op swing open, and she said he did that. He unlocked the lock, and pushed back the door and I could see in. And I realized, she said, that it was a whole warehouse full of clothes, all kinds of clothes. And he said to me, 
um, you can have anything that you want. Go ahead, go ahead. So she went in and she thought, well, I mean, I don't even know where to start because it's such a big warehouse, but she said, I looked at the first rack and she said, I started to think, well, this is going to take a while for me to, you know, find my size and everything. And so she's looking and just on the first rack, it happened to be her size. Oh, that's good. She saw, she looked at something, she said, oh, I like that. Next thing, that's great, that's just my style. Wow, those are my colors and my size. This whole, she said, I went through the entire rack and the whole rack would fit me. She said, I I couldn't believe it. So I turned around, went to the next rack and it was the same thing. She said, I expected it to be a whole different size, but again, it was my size, it was my style that I knew would fit me, it was stuff I liked my colors, I couldn't, everything was so cute. I I thought, I don't know what to do here. And she said, I went to the next rack and it was my size and the next rack was my size. She said, that entire warehouse was full of clothes for me. It, It was all stuff that I like, that fit me exactly, that was stuff I would buy. She said, I, I didn't even know where to start. And she said, and then I woke up. And she said, I, I've been praying about it. It's like, what does this mean? And she started to cry again, and she said, tonight I realized God is telling me, not only do I have a new set of clothes for you, I have a whole warehouse full of clothes for you. I have so much for you, and you're asking for a patch job. Man, God has new things for us. God has fresh things for us. He wants to show us things we have never, ever seen before. He has a whole new set of clothes and then some, a whole warehouse full. Actually, this morning, Somebody else came up to me and said, I had a dream two weeks ago, too. I dreamt I couldn't find anything to wear. I dreamt that anything I tried on wasn't fitting anymore. There wasn't a single thing that I could find that would fit me. And I said, that's because spiritually you've grown and changed. God has a new set of duds that'll fit you now. (laughs) Go look for what he has for you. See, as we change, as we grow, as we develop, we do not hold, have to hold on to the old things. We don't have to hold on to the, the old traditions. We don't have to hold on to that stuff. God has something new. God has something fresh for everybody. He will always keep you in a whole warehouse of clothes that will fit you perfectly for where you are at right now. Keep looking on to new things. Verse 17. Jesus again shifts the metaphor. He says, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst 
the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. This is an awesome verse. He's basically saying to them, I want to do new and fresh things in your life like new wine. In fact, all the way through scripture, new wine is the picture of the Holy Spirit. It, um, there's many, many um, places where that's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit wants some elbow room in our lives. The Holy Spirit wants to move. He has some space. He wants to be able to do fresh things in us. And he does not, God does not and cannot pour the new wine into an old wineskin. What's he saying there? Well, I realized, I, I actually studied how, just because I was curious, the Lord kept taking me back to this verse, I, I was studying how tanning happens. Like, how do you tan leather? By the way, that's interesting. It's its own sermon. I won't get into that today. But it's interesting the, the wineskins are prepared, and you know, to begin with, they're supple, and they'll give, and everything like that. But if you, probably all of us, have had something made out of leather that just gets hard, you know, even if you put leather cream on it, it, it hardens up. And that was true of the wineskins. I mean, they didn't have bottled water or anything. The water wasn't safe, and so they had their grape juice and stuff, and, but the pulp from the grapes and the sugar and stuff would get into the wine, into the leather, so that made it even worse. It would just flatten it out like pancake, and it would get hard. And then, if you put new wine into an old wineskin, there would be no give. There would be no space for the wine to move. You know, many times in our own lives, the Spirit wants to do a fresh thing in us, it is going, ah, it's bubbling, it's wanting some space in us, and we go, mm -mm. We're kind of like the old wineskins that just, we're used to what we're used to, and it's hard. And the wineskins say, give me some room. Give me some space. Mm-mm. I had a guy, actually, in a church, he, I mentioned this first, and he came down from the side, walked down the aisle, and he said, I'm 93, I just got saved a few years ago, and he said, you were talking about old wineskins. And he said, I have to tell you that when I was in World War II, I was in, stationed in Italy, and I used to go to the bars because I wasn't saved, but he said, I remember this one bar that had all these old wineskins all flattened out like pancakes, one on top of the other, piled up on a shelf. They weren't good for anything. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you get too hard, you're really not good for anything. If I try to put the new wine in you and there's no space for it, you'll break and the wine will be lost. He's saying, I want to do a new fresh thing. Would you open up to it? That's the question, isn't it? Will we open up to it? Will we let him do what he wants to do?
take us some new places, take us farther in our walk with him because he has so much more for us. The Lord kept taking me back to this verse still. I thought, man, I've studied it. I don't know what else there is in here. But I'm sure you've all experienced that where it's like as you're reading the scripture, the scripture reads us, and it's like we have this opportunity to think it through. But on this, I, I, I just felt there was more. And, and you know, I, I'm so hungry for a revival. I'm so hungry for God to do fresh things. I, as... Pastor mentioned, I'm a revival historian. I've seen, I know, I've read the testimonies of what God has done all over the world. I actually really believe that he's gonna come back and do an amazing revival, last day's revival that we'll see that goes around the world. I think it can include us. I'm so excited about that. But we have to be made new and fresh first. And what the Lord, I was saying to God, oh, I want the new wine, pour out the new wine, make me new, make me a new wineskin. And that's how I kept saying it, God, I, I want revival, I want all you have for me, make me new. And all of a sudden, one day, I felt like the Spirit said to me, Carolyn, it's your move. I said, what are you talking about? He said, look at the order here. You're looking at it as if the new wine will make you the new wineskin. But it says right here that I can't pour out my new wine until I have a new wineskin to pour it into. It's your move. It's your move. Are you willing to become a new wineskin? And you might say, hey, I don't know how to do that. No problem, God does. I mean, as soon as I told the Lord, I get it, do something. <laughs> I mean, change me, show me how to change. And, and I felt he said, if you obey me, I'll do it. And he did. And I could tell you that experience, but you know what, I'm not going to do that. Because then you'd think that that has to be your experience. And I want to tell you, God has so many different experiences for each of us that'll fit us. We are each a wineskin. We are each have something that God wants to do. He wants to make us new. And wow, he has something that'll make you a new wineskin. Just ask him. He'll do it. I guarantee you. Just follow his instructions, and it'll happen. And I, for one, want to stay a new wineskin. I want every new wineskin he wants to make me into. I want every new set of clothes. I don't want to get stuck in a rut. I refuse. I don't care if everybody else is stuck in a rut. I refuse. I'm not going there. I want to be ready for the new wine that God has for me on a continual basis and for what I think he wants to do in revival. And I'll tell you what, one last thing here. As we each become new, the church gets new. Toys R Us, the church R Us, 
we're it. And if we have this kind of transformation and live this kind of life, there's new and fresh things for celebration. And I wanna, I wanna tell you, I feel it in my bones. It's why I'm here, praise God. I wanna be a part of it. I wanna see what God's gonna do. Ah, oh, friends, God is gonna do amazing things. I wanna close with Isaiah 43, 18 to 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I'm so glad I live in these times because we're about to see something fresh. Don't let it pass you by. Would you stand with me, please? You know, if you don't know Jesus, he'll transform you and make you new. Today's the day, now's the time. If you do know Jesus and you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, yeah, he's got that for you too. Just seek him, he'll do it. He says he will. It'll come flowing out of you. If you just want to be made new and you want to pray with somebody, now's the time. This is sacred space up here. I'm going to ask for the prayer team to come back up. And, and I just want to say, right now is a time to start something new. Right now. You don't have to wait. And, and I would invite you, as we have some time to just meet with God right now and pray with people, that you would just come up. If any of those things that I just said, or, or even if something else, please come because God wants to start a transformation process in you. He wants to make you a new wine skin and he wants to pour out new wine. And if you just want to come up and kneel at the steps or somewhere else and pray yourself, that's fine or in your pew. But I pray you would just right now open yourself to God and all the new things that he has for you. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or the 10th time, reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.